Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining us is friend of the show, Sam Raz, whose Scott and Holman podcast is the place to go for all things Houston Cougars. And Sam, great to have you back. And are you liking where the second ranked Cougs are at this very moment? It's been pretty surreal this season. Obviously, I think a full season is usually judged on how you do in certain games in March, but it's been kind of surreal, even as great as this program has been in recent years, to see the small numbers that you've seen pretty consistently all season next to this uh, Houston Cougar men's basketball team's name. Yeah, I want to get to a little bit of a concern for me at this point in just a second. But first, quick reminder that the best way to support us is to subscribe and comment on YouTube. Listen to us on the run by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. But Sam, my major worry when I watch this year's team is it doesn't really look like a Kelvin Sampson team. They aren't built the way he wins. They aren't scrappy. They have too many offensive-minded players that aren't out there scrapping for rebounds. They're ranked 32nd in rebounding. And Sam, you tell me, this might be the worst rebounding Sampson team in, I don't know, five years at least. I don't know about that. I, I don't think they're the best at keeping opponents off the glass, though that's never been the stronger side of the equation for Kelvin Sampson teams. I mean, this is still a team that's top five in offensive rebound percentage in the country. So I still think you have guys like Jairus Walker and Lonnie Roberts and when he's on the floor, Javier Francis, who are quite good at it. And I know early in the season, Samson said something not too dissimilar to what you just said about, you know, if this team was a great rebounding team, it would have shown itself by now. I think he said it after a win uh, in non-conference, but it just hadn't been that satisfied with that portion. But he's also come back recently or more recently and talked about how this team can be a really good rebounding team. I will say it does win differently, but I think for me, the reason why I'm still very bullish in this team is that you're not going to be playing any NCAA tournament games at the Fertitta Center. You're not going to be playing any NCAA games against a lot of the opponents you've been playing. And I think you have a small sample size, but still a sample size nevertheless of the Cougars going on the road into tough environments uh, away from home and playing their best basketball, which is what every NCLA term is game is going to be just in some form or fashion. Although obviously if you get far enough, you'll be uh, back in Houston playing at uh, NRG. So it's a differently constructed Kelvin Sampson team. Um, I'm not going to say they played perfect basketball for the entirety of the season, but I also think it's a team with a higher ceiling in certain areas that you need to be the last team standing than any Kelvin Sampson team prior has. Yeah. Offensively, definitely. This is the highest ceiling that we've seen. You know, they've got shed and Sasser, and Tremont, Mark, and Juris Walker, and you get all four of those guys, and that's usually pretty good, but I think it's under the radar for a lot of fans, and maybe I'm crazy for saying this, but losing Ramon Walker this year could be super costly once they get into the tournament. He was the quintessential Samson-type player, and honestly, if he were healthy, I don't know, this might be just blasphemy to some Houston Cougars fans, but I, I would have started him over Tremont, Mark, just to put another blue-collar guy in the lineup with Juwan Roberts and bring Mark off the bench. So you have a little bit of a veteran offensive presence off the bench and somebody that is a little bit more dependable there. And I don't feel like you need this much offense in your starting lineup. What do you think about that? I mean, you're kind of playing Ramon Walker and he was fantastic when he did get on the court, but you were kind of playing him last year out of necessity because you had basically seven, seven or eight guys at that point. Once you lost Mark and Sasser that, were capable of getting on the floor. I mean, he did a lot of great things. I think Samson has said repeatedly that 
if he wanted to win a basketball game, the first guy he would choose is Ramon Walker. But we also saw in his 10 games of playing this year that he just didn't look like the same player and he just wasn't giving you enough on the offensive end. I think we saw kind of an extra hitch in his shot and he already had kind of a longer shooting motion, just wasn't wasn't looking the best there when he was playing or healthy enough to play prior in the season. So would definitely like to have had 2021, 22 or yeah, 2021, 2022 season Ramon Walker added to this group, but you didn't have that guy this year when he was, when he was healthy. So it's kind of, yeah, you'd like to have him, but I also, I, I do think that Emmanuel Sharp, I think hasn't gotten enough credit for the things he does besides being a, a guy who's going to bomb it from any part of the court. I think, it's not a coincidence that Samson has featured Sharp in some pretty critical moments of some of the recent wins. I think go back a little bit, the Virginia game, Emmanuel Sharp was on the floor while the Cougars were pulling away from that one and winning in Charlottesville against certainly one of the better, I'd say 15, 20 teams in the country. And, and I, I think Kelvin Samson really trusts Emmanuel Sharp more than I think the fan base at large really knows. And I think, he's going to play a really big role on this team down the stretch and is getting got critical minutes uh, on Sunday. It hit a really big shot for Temple had gotten a four point playoff, a technical foul uh, goes on the other end of the floor and nails a three. I thought it was really cool that two of your biggest shots in the second half pulling away at Temple were from Jarris Walker and Emmanuel Sharp, two guys who are playing their first years in the court for this program. Yeah. You mentioned the name I was going to get to next, Jarris Walker. And if I'm a little concerned about the depth and rebounding with this group, I'm on the other end of the spectrum with, Juris Walker, his ability to take over the offense when they're sputtering and his confidence, all of it's growing with every month you watch him play. What strikes you about what you've seen from him this year and and in the last couple of months, actually? He's starting to become, and I say this in the most positive way possible. This is not usually a positive adjective, but he's becoming more selfish. And I think that's really good. I think part of his problem was he's this incredibly gifted freshman, but I think unlike a lot of really gifted recruits, he didn't come in with a, okay, this is my team kind of attitude. You guys are going to defer to me. I'm taking all the big shots here. He actually came with the opposite problem that I think he didn't want to step on the toes of guys like Sasser and Shed and Mark and even Jawan Roberts, his friend and roommate, who'd been in the program for at least two or three years before him. I think he really, I, Kelvin Sampson likes to say, it's one of my favorite lines of his, that good offense is not a democracy. And I think it's kind of become clear to this team that, Jarris Walker needs to be getting the ball a lot more because there's not really an aspect of his game, certainly offensively. And I'm sure, you know, there's things that can be polished. There's been games that haven't been his best, but you've really started to see the division one game slow down for him. I think since the start of the new calendar year, and I think he's had like five 20 plus point performances in conference play after having, I think one uh, in non-conference play prior to that, just has a perimeter, has a perimeter shot, has a perimeter game that you just look at a guy, his size and go, okay, this guy's going to be an absolute demon inside the paint, but may not have a good shot outside of it. And he, frankly, it, I think we four or five against Temple on Sunday has an ability, has an ability to completely take over a game in a way that you don't expect a guy who's six, eight, two forty, and built like a Mack truck to do so. Uh, they're not putting him at the top of these mock drafts because they think he looks good in a basketball uniform. They're putting him there because one, he hasn't played his best basketball yet, despite, having some pretty sparkling performances here the last few weeks, but that his potential, his potential, the ability to do all the things that he could do on basketball court. It's not usual for a guy who looks and is built like Jarris Walker. 
yeah, there's been a couple of games recently in the last couple of weeks where it's just like he he just takes the game over when the Cougs don't look like they're playing all that well. And it, you're, you're like, oh, oh, no, they're in trouble. And, you know, the game on Sunday, there was a game, I think it was the one maybe a, a, a week or two ago, where all of a sudden it's just like he he runs off a bunch of points. He had that huge first half. I'm trying to remember who that was against. But, you know, the, those type of games are, are huge. And the one thing I think about with him, Sam, is once you get to the tournament, do you think he's their go-to guy when you need a bucket late in the game or they still go to Sasser? Is it sometimes Jamal? Like who's the guy or do they know yet? I don't know if they know yet. And I think it can be a multiple, I guess, multiple right answers to that question kind of situation. I think it really depends on what your opponents are doing. Cause I really do think recently you've seen a number of opponents just say, you know what? We're not going to let Marcus Sasser get his. We know that's not a perfect strategy, but if someone's going to beat us in this Houston team, it's not going to be Marcus Sasser. And kind of, I think you're probably seeing the opponents slowly realize that Jamal Shedd is good enough in spots to do that. Jairus Walker, obviously good enough in spots to do that. I think Tremont Mark is going through a bit of a dry spot right now, but I think he's going to, he's good enough. I think come crunch time in March, just like his freshman year, he's going to prove to be a guy who comes up big at big moments of the season. And I think that's what makes this Cougar team so scary and have such a high ceiling that you can give, heck, Jawan Roberts, a guy who I think anytime he scored more than five points, we don't last year, years before on the podcast, but wow, you see Jawan Roberts got seven points in this one, really just probably your eighth or ninth best offensive player out of eight or nine guys in the rotation has gone to just be quietly putting up 12 and six most games. It has become a guy when they pass him to low post, your first reaction isn't like, oh my God, why are they passing to him? He's not going to make that shot. He actually has developed quite a solid post game too. So I think that's what makes this team so scary is that there have been some doggone good Cougar men's basketball teams the past several years, but there was always a, at least one or two guys in the lineup where you're just like, okay, he's in for his defense and rebounding. Don't know if I'd be wild about, I'm not going to even let, put the guys on blast, but not wouldn't be wild about that guy taking a big shot at a big moment. And I think one through five, you have your best lineup out there for this Houston team. You can really go to all five of those guys in a critical spot and not feel bad about it if you're a Cougar fan. I would say certainly Sasser and Walker at the top of that list, but I really do like the one through five in terms of offensive potential, in terms of taking a big shot more than I ever have under Samson running this program. Yeah, the talent's there. It's just my concern, I guess, Sam, when I watch a team that Samson's got all these offensive weapons is sometimes they get very stagnant offensively. He's not a genius offensively as he is defensively and rebounding, you know, his squads, I feel like that's where they, you know, that's where they make their money is doing that stuff. But, you know, I, I, I kind of want to see a little bit more what I saw in the second half on Sunday, that, that ball movement and guys, you know, it, you know, I, it just seemed like they knew what they were doing in the second half where, you know, I've watched a few of the games recently and, and it's just like, I, I don't see them, you know, really having a feel for what they want to do and where they want to go offensively. Yeah, I will also point out that this is a team averaging in the mid-70s while playing a very slow possession kind of, kind of game. Games that, you know, you're, you're talking about more of a 61-63 possession kind of team, and that they're still putting up some pretty nice point totals. Yeah, there are times where the offense gets stagnant, but, I mean, we're still talking about a, a team that efficiency-wise is one of the very best in the country, and I do think, and Kelvin Sampson's talked about this a lot, he really did improve his, 
I guess, offensive ideas versus, you know, Kelvin Sampson, Indiana, Oklahoma, and Wazoo era versus now from being in the league for five or six years, however long it was uh, in between getting fired from Indiana and taking the job here at Houston. I think he's definitely, he's got a bit more open-minded offensively. And I think you've seen that from the ceiling of the Cougar teams he's had here versus, you know, some very good, but always offensively capped to some degree teams that he had at Oklahoma largely uh, prior to this. So yeah, they've had some, I think dry spells. They've had some moments where I don't think they played their best offense. I think the temple game, the your one conference blemish this point is a, I think good example of that, but also that was a game where just about everything went wrong offensively and you still had the ball with seven seconds to win it. That's just how narrow the margin is between this team having one conference blemish and we're talking about a team where the only loss they've had this season is to a consensus top five Alabama team. So I think you could pick nits. I think you could find some definite red meat to criticize in terms of the consistency at times offensively. But I, I still think even now, it's not just a, this is the best ceiling Kelvin Sampson offensive team, though I, I do believe that. I think it's practically the, it's been the best offensive team he's had in terms of on-court results and also I think their potential. Yeah, it's also times where I just like uh, pick up the pace a little bit because you guys are talented and you guys are t- you, these teams that are less talented than you. You're, you're kind of giving them a chance in these games because you they, they they don't have the offense that you've got. You guys have got. I, I I don't mind him slowing it down in the second half when you've got a double digit lead and you're trying to grind it down with that defense. But there are times early in games where I'm just like, pick, man, pick up the pace, guys. We you know you're you're giving the you're giving the Wichita States and the Temple's a shot, which I I don't think they should have a shot against U of H this year. That's true, but you're also you're you're getting you're getting everyone's I think their highest adrenaline. Obviously, Houston for the last several years has been the name team on the schedule. It's not new this year that Houston's going into a lot of these buildings and being probably the best team that that opponent has seen in conference, and at least in some cases, the best team that's coming to their arena period that year. But you're also, I mean. I think the, the weird contrast is you're getting all these people's best shot. You're the you're the game of the season for basically everybody in the schedule. And in those situations, the team's done quite well. Like there's not really, I mean, I guess Wichita got a little hairy at times, but that's your worst road performance. And that was still a nine point win where it was never really in doubt the last four or five minutes of the game. That That's been kind of the the crazy part is some of the home performances, you'd kind of, you know, expect, okay, you go into Cincy, you describe the game at the Fertitta Center, and it's just like, okay, well, they go up 11, they come out just shooting the lights out. That sounds every bit of it like you going into a hostile arena, and yet it's happening at the Fertitta Center, which has kind of been the weird thing this year, is that this team, year on year, different players, has been so consistently excellent at home. Not so much the case this year, but this very well might be the best team on the road in the country as well. So that's kind of Kind of a weird contrast, which I kind of said at the top, I guess is good considering postseason you're going to be playing away from your arena. But it has it has been kind of weird. It's been kind of hard to pinpoint why this team has struggled at home more than the last several, despite, I, I think, by all accounts, being the highest ceiling team, certainly the highest ranked team that, uh, that Samson's had here. Yeah, definitely a lot of good points there. And yeah, they are the Super Bowl for a lot of teams. Uh, want to switch gears a little bit because... The Cougs moved to the Big 12, got very real with the announcement of the Big 12 football schedule. What was your reaction when you saw that? I liked it. If I had anything I didn't like about it, but I kind of expected this. 
I was hoping to avoid the two AAC programs, not because of any animus that we have towards Cincy and UCF. You just you want to see as many new faces as possible. And in UCF's case, we've been sharing a conference with them since 2005. Cincy, off and on over the last 30 or so years post Southwest Conference in this program. So that may be the only thing that I wasn't thrilled about with it. But only two games outside of Texas the entire season. That's really cool considering how since 1996 this team has been in some level of far-flung conference having to travel out of state for nearly all of your road conference games is kind of a bummer Uh, i think exciting to get uh the longhorns the uh burnt orange school in austin to come to tdcu stadium for what i'm sure will be the only time uh, as long as i live on this earth that they will even deign the thought of uh, in this case by conference obligation having to go on campus and play u of h in their own stadium. I think that's really cool opening the opening, not just U of H's conference slate, but uh, the big 12 schedule next year against the national runner up. That's, that's really cool. And even the, the two out of state road trips, one of them is to K state, which just won the big 12 and has proven themselves to be a pretty good program over the last few decades. It's just very different to see all these name brands, not just the, the Longhorns, not just, yeah, I got Texas tech or Baylor, but just, seeing a big 12 schedule versus the AAC, which God bless it was a much better lead than conference USA. It was a good platform for U of H to go from where we are now to where we'll be here in the coming years. But I think just a whole other excitement level for those opponents coming to town. And you guys said it in your show might want to get those uh, season tickets with uh, Texas coming in because those tickets are going to be pretty expensive and hard to come by. I assume. U of H will make it, I'm sure, as hard as humanly possible to get a ticket to that game. And, and I actually completely support them in that endeavor. You got to gotta do what you got to do to keep your stadium from being uh, 65% burnt orange. Absolutely. And let me just finish off by, uh, I want to know what's going on with the show. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys got coming up? We know you're going to be talking a lot of Cougar basketball, but uh, tell us about what else is uh, you're, you're excited about and looking forward to in the next couple of months. Yeah, obviously March Madness coming up next month. That's going to be really exciting. We got the bat and ball sports kicking off here uh, in the next couple of weeks. Ho- hoping for a, hoping for a Cougar baseball that could actually really be in the baseball postseason. We're pretty excited about that. Uh, potentially Cougar track and field, obviously, always really exciting stuff. For there, the first year of uh, Carl Lewis and uh, Will Blackburn uh, running that program, succeeding Leroy, Leroy Burrell, who uh, took the same job at Auburn during the summer. And uh, we've also been putting out premium content, which I've been really excited about. Just you do a weekly show, uh, you try to do a weekly show where you give all the stuff in the athletic department attention. You sometimes don't have, I guess, the bandwidth to really like dig in on a topic. Like, obviously, we just got done talking about the Big 12 schedule. We talked in the regular pod about the Big 12 schedule, but you talk an hour, an hour and some change about the Big 12 schedule, and you have to fit in basketball and all that stuff. You're talking a two and a half, three hour show, and that's just, no one wants to listen to that much in one episode. You're just going to get even the most uh, devoted fans uh, tuning out about an hour and a half into that. So I think doing the premium shows have allowed us to not just put a little more money in our coffers, but to actually really focus on some of the topics that maybe we have time to address on a surface level, give our most basic thoughts, but to actually really dig into all 12 games like uh, we did this past Friday. Uh, I've had a good couple interviews in there as well, maybe stuff we didn't have time for in the regular show, a breakdown of the 2022 football season. I decided uh, against my better judgment to review every single game uh, of the past football season. Uh, takeaways really looked at the 2023 football signing class 
as well. So a whole lot of great uh, topics there. Patreon.com slash SH podcast. If you're like, you know what? Like these guys seem like they're doing something pretty cool, but I'm not sure I'm ready to give them money. Totally understand that. We are on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, uh, Google, Stitcher. If you have a podcast app of choice, there's a very good chance we're on the Scott and Holman podcast. P-A-W-D cast, as you can see on screen right here because we love nothing if not houston cougar sports and just making uh, the lamest puns humanly possible <laughs> absolutely the best houston cougar podcast you're gonna find and the most extensive you know they don't just do football and basketball they give everybody some love and that's fun to see and it's always great to have you on the show and tell dustin i said hello tell him we missed him but uh we'll do this again sometime soon thanks a lot Hey, absolutely, Robert. Uh, Thanks for having me. You're too kind, as always. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.